Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to all unexplained mysteries of existence, as well as everything weird, bizarre, and dark in the world. Today on the show, we have an interesting topic to cover, and that is unexplained deaths from the paranormal. Ghosts are usually described as the spirit of a human being that, for some reason or another, becomes trapped between this world and the next. Another phrase that's been used is an earthbound spirit. Oftentimes, these entities are not even aware that they're dead and seem to be stuck in some type of dream state, reliving things that happened to them in life over and over. They remain perplexed or even in denial that they've died. Some spirits even try desperately to make contact with living people to help them out, and they seem to have some kind of a, a level of lucidity and awareness. To those undeveloped spiritually, some spirits may even get angry because a person is unable to comprehend them, and therefore the spirit thinks that they're being ignored. And then of course, there's the old unfinished business cliche, and the spirit is bound to the material plane until some sort of task is finished. Such a task could be a variety of different things, be it solving their murder, or just saying sorry to a loved one, or... You know, anything like that it could be a variety of things. According to which tradition the legends and whatnot is coming from, ghosts and the paranormal can mean many different things to many different people. I mean, there's some people out there who think a ghost is just a demon masquerading as a person. Or in other traditions, ghosts are just the shell of a person floating in the astral plane with only a vague sense of awareness concerning what they used to be and aren't really people with the consciousness that once inhabited them, long gone. These shells can be roused to action if they come into contact with a psychic sensitive, or can even be driven around by other entities like a marionette being pulled by strings. Some traditions even state that the only thing that survives death is what we in the West would refer to as the subconscious mind. So when hopping into paranormal lore from traditions all across the U.S. and the world, there really is no end-all be-all or agreed-upon truth between believers. Anyone, anyone who says that there is is full of crap. It's all very subjective and there's no experts in the paranormal. I mean, a lot of times these paranormal spirits don't even have to be human from a lot of traditions. And such things like a demon is actually a pretty broad term. And these entities are usually summed up as evil by the church and servants of the devil or fallen angels, at least in the West. But the word demon actually comes from a much broader category of supernatural creatures. And these entities are referred to as the daemon, which is a Latin word actually based on the classical Greek term daemon, both spelt similar in a similar manner and sound the same phonetically, but yeah, they're actually the same thing. And these daemons, they are not necessarily evil or good, but are more in between. Daemons could be many different spiritual entities. They could even be souls of humans from the golden age of civilization here to tutor the living. They're a mixture of nature spirits, elementals, chthonic heroes, spirit guides, actual deities, or even, <laughs> even ghosts. 
Christianity just basically took all of these spiritual entities and classified them as demons and put them in a little box as evil. But according to the ancients, there is a much broader scope concerning spiritual entities from across all cultures across the world. And though demons have many shades of gray concerning their nature, there are most definitely malevolent ones out there to cause as much suffering in the world as they can. But this episode is not about demons, it's about people who have died from paranormal encounters. I'm more so just mentioning demons in the introduction to give you a broader view if you're not familiar with the wider topic of paranormal entities. Because there's a lot more out there than just ghosts. And uh, the daemon, definitely I can go over that in episodes to come. So don't worry, that's a fascinating topic. In any case, there are many documented unexplained deaths attributed to ghosts, the paranormal, and the supernatural. So let's go over some of the more mainstream, well-known ones in this episode. And that's enough for the introduction. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. And you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Let's, let's start with the case of Malachi Martin. Now, Father Malachi Martin was a best-selling author, a former aide to Pope St. John XXIII, professor at the Vatican's Pontifical Biblical Institute for a while, was an archaeologist, physicist, anthropologist, but most of all, Father Martin was an exorcist, with his first exorcism taking place on an archaeological dig in Egypt. And if this seems familiar, it's because the older priest from the Exorcist movies is actually based on Malachi Martin. This is the guy who inspired The Exorcist, a movie that would change horror cinema forever. Anyway, he was basically all around a maverick and a, uh, a renaissance man. He was also the friend of Father Alfred J. Kuntz, and he believed that the Wisconsin priest 1998 murder bore the masks of satanic occult evil. And I quote, He was found at 7 o'clock in the morning with his throat cut from ear to ear, Martin said on a national radio program back in May 1998. He was found in his own blood face down in it and with various acts of desecration of his body, which are normally associated with Satanist-inflicted death. End quote. Father Kuhn's death is still unsolved till this day, and sadly, Father Martin would have a similar horrific fate, just like his friend. You see, Father Martin had issues with the Catholic Church and was very vocal about his disagreements with it. I don't really want to get into all that because it's political and sad and you don't want to hear it. So he left and became a writer and freelance exorcist in New York. 
By the 1980s, he'd said he'd performed over 100 exorcisms. This guy was 100% genuinely just about helping people and fighting evil. But near his last days when he was 78, Martin performed an exorcism on a young girl who'd seemingly been possessed by a particularly powerful demon. The four-year-old girl spoke in an evil otherworldly voice, saying to Martin, So you're Malachi Martin, and you think you can help her? Father Martin was very shortly thereafter killed by being pushed out of his apartment and falling pretty far down to the pavement below. In the movie The Exorcist, this is represented by the younger exorcist jumping out the window to kill himself while he was possessed by the demon. And those spiritually inclined claim that when Martin left, the little girl was basically free, but the demon had latched itself onto him. And it was this malevolent supernatural force that either pushed him to his death, or he chose to die willingly to defeat it. In any case, if you look at the evidence, it doesn't make any sense how he fell out of his window in the way that he did, and there's no evidence of any foul play or any evidence of anything really, and it remains unexplainable, but his death is attributed to the supernatural. we have the widow ghost and this one's really creepy in a small northeastern village of Nongkom Phanom Thailand nightmares seem to have become a reality a dozen perfectly healthy young men have died in their sleep with no apparent medical explanation whatsoever they appeared to have thrashed in their beds prior to death as in the grips of some vivid nightmare and all the news people that have covered this story cannot explain it and uh, try to chalk it up to just like mass hysteria. But when you look at it from the Thai people's point of view, it's a lot more esoteric. And obviously, these villagers were pretty freaked out. And trying to stop these bizarre deaths, they consulted a spirit medium, who then told them that the young men were being hunted by a type of entity called a widow ghost which is a spirit of vengeance and seeks out young men in their dreams to seduce them and then murder them horrifically in the dream, which actually kills them in real life. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds awfully familiar to the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and Freddy Krueger and whatnot. And that's clever of you to deduce that because it's for good reason. Wes Craven based his original movie on real-life accounts. In the early 80s, the horror director read an article of real deaths that were happening across the country, and it only targeted Asian men. Cambodia's Communist Party was massacring people across the country, and these mysterious dream deaths seemed to only be targeting Asian men who were fleeing that country. So many of the Cambodian population was being massacred by the communists. There were a whole bunch of immigrants coming over to the U.S. 
with the numbers of Asian men dying in their dreams being pretty vast, so this story was pretty big back in the day. The men were dying in their sleep with no medical explanation whatsoever. And I got a few quotes. One boy told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. So he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought this crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. End quote. An estimated 1,000 men died in their sleeps from nightmares during this time with no explanation. And here's another quote by a young man who died shortly after saying this. First, I was surprised, but right away, I got real scared. I was lying in bed, a dark shadow in the night. I was so tired because I was working very hard then. I wanted to go to school, but I had no money. I kept waking up because I was thinking so much about my problems. I heard a noise, but when I turned, tried, I could not move. My bedroom looked the same, but I could see in the corner a dark shape was coming to me. It came to the bed, over my feet, my legs. It was very heavy, like a heavy weight over my whole body, my legs, my chest. My chest was frozen like I was drowning. I had no air. I tried to yell so someone sleeping very close to me will hear. I tried to move using a force that I can, a strength that I have. I thought, what if I die? After a long time, it went away, it just left. I got up and turned on all the lights. I was afraid to sleep again. End quote. And that young man was found dead in his bed shortly after stating that. Traditional Hmong spiritual beliefs contain a form of spiritual panpsychism, a point of view that literally everything has a spirit or consciousness. When they left their homeland from the communists massacring innocent people wherever they went, the Hmong felt that they had been cut off from their ancestral spirits. In fact, it was a common complaint of a majority of the people who immigrated to the U.S. from Cambodia, who would previously be able to protect them from attacks from evil spirits, these ancestral spirits they'd been cut off from. And it was a tradition to make sacrifices to ward off such nasty entities. When the immigrants sought freedom and fled to America from the communist massacres, they stopped all these ancient practices. Many of the elders believed that malevolent entities were influencing the Communist Party to commit such atrocities in their homeland. And without their ancestral spirits to protect them, they were at the mercy of these evil spirits when they came to reap the souls that had escaped their bloodthirst in Cambodia. And based off of all of these accounts, Wes Craven made the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street. And back to the Widow Ghost. The Widow Ghost is one of these types of entities that seek out people to murder in their dreams. And after many fatalities, the medium told the villagers that the Widow Ghost was still on the hunt for more victims. 
she pointed out that the spirit was more likely to attack families that had only a single-born son, but was open to kill whatever she could find in the absence of that. To avoid the ghosts, she told villagers to hang a red shirt outside their houses, which actually oddly seemed to work, and many men even began to dress as women as they went to bed to try and trick the entity. Though there were still men who dressed up like ladies that died, the deaths slowed down to the point where they ceased altogether, but the village is still incredibly traumatized by these events till this day. Hello, my name is Nessie. You might remember me from such places as Loch Ness, because I'm a Loch Ness monster. Cryptic Chronicles is sponsored by Blueberry. If you're interested in making your own podcast, just go to Blueberry.com or by going to CrypticChronicles.com, click on the sponsor link on the homepage. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you will not only be helping to support the show, but you'll also have the best podcasting host on the market. There's no contracts, and you can cancel any time. You'll have free 24-hour tech support, syndication with your own RSS feed, as well as a plethora of other goodies that only professional podcasters use. There's no third-party sites to log into. Never leave your own website. You remain in control. All you have to do is produce your podcast, write your blog post, and then publish with 29,000 plugins to pick from. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you'll have one month free of the best podcast statistics, as well as one month free of the best podcast hosting. So go through our sponsor, Blueberry, today. And if you can, visit Loch Ness, because I am very hungry. If you're interested in uh, ghost ships, then the next topic in this episode is going to be intriguing to you. Ghost ships are well known in paranormal lore and, though somewhat cliché, the case of the Orang Medan is as baffling as it is horrifying. And this isn't any ancient ghost ship either, because the incident took place in the 20th century and had dozens of witnesses, including a ship captain who had a lot to lose if he openly talked about ghost ships. Shortly after World War II, an extremely bizarre Morse code was intercepted by many seafaring vessels in the Straits of Malacca. It said, All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. End quote. Then, shortly after the mysterious Morse code, Sender sent out possibly his last act while dying. The second message that was understandable simply said, I die. 
super creepy stuff. And many people heard this Morse code, or received this Morse code, I mean, and um, they all kind of got together to investigate it. When two American ships arrived to answer the distress signal, they noticed that the Orang Medan was powered down and just drifting in the ocean wherever the wind would take it. For such a big ship, there should have been crew wandering around in plain sight, but no one was there and the ship was in pristine condition with no damage whatsoever. The captains of the American vessels blew the ship's horns trying to communicate, but they only received silence in return. And radio communication wasn't being responded to either, so they decided to investigate the ghost ship and formed a boarding party. And this is when the whole thing basically turns into a horror movie, but real life. The Dutch crew were all around the ship as they boarded it everywhere that they went. But every single one of them was dead, frozen with looks of utter horror upon their faces and their bodies stuck in rigor mortis, unexplainably pretty much in the position that they died in, twisted in terror with arms up to protect themselves to ward off some unseen enemy. And what I mean by unexplainable is not only the rigor mortis that had set in in positions they died in, because it's hard to explain, but from a medical point of view, it was extremely unnatural how they were splayed out. But what's also unexplainable is that their bodies had basically started to decay at an extremely fast rate, highly abnormally. So what these sailors were walking into was a horror show. Their mouths were all gaping, eyes twisted in horror, arms raised, warding off something. But the distress signal was very fresh, yet the corpses looked as if they'd been decaying for some time. Even the ship's dog was stuck frozen in an eternal snarl. And even though it was an incredibly hot summer day, the ship was unnaturally cold everywhere that they went. When they looked closer at the bodies, they were surprised that there were no signs of physical harm that could have possibly caused their death. The sailors died for no apparent reason whatsoever, and the officers apparently tried to barricade themselves inside the ship, but they all died in the exact same fashion. And the captain was found still at the helm of the ship with the same look of horror and none of it made any sense. As the Americans explored the ship further and beneath the deck and whatnot, it was just a thing of nightmares. On every deck, the crew was found with the same looks of horror and though the Americans documented everything thoroughly, they obviously wanted to get off that creepy ship as soon as possible. When they left, they attempted to tow the Orang Medan for law enforcement to further investigate the mysterious deaths. But out of nowhere, the ship caught fire even though it was in pristine condition just a moment before. So they had to cut the lines, and the ship exploded with such violence that it was lifted out of the water, allegedly, and then it just sank to the bottom of the sea. Many years later, the assistant director of the CIA, C.H. Mark, mentioned the Orang Medan case in a letter that wasn't ever meant to go public. This letter has also been declassified by the government recently because of the Freedom of Information Act, 
so you can actually go read it if you want. Though everything concerning this person the letter is sent to was redacted and is still classified. The CIA administrator talks about the ship and the letter and all the events I've already talked about. But the most bizarre aspect of the letter is that he alludes to that the government knows a lot more than they let on concerning the paranormal. C.H. Mark wrote in the letter, and I quote, I feel sure that the SS Orang Medan tragedy holds the answer to many of these airplane accidents and unsolved mysteries of the sea. Do you think something from the unknown is involved? End quote. He even references old English chronicles about the unexplained at sea and talks about fiery spears rising or vanishing into the ocean. It's incredibly bizarre because he casually talks about the unknown and the paranormal as if they are mutually accepted real things. And whoever this letter was written to, I would really like to know who it is because, uh, I don't know, just bizarre. So yeah, the assistant to the administrator of the CIA talked seriously about a ghost ship being real and basically about the paranormal being real as well. And why would the most powerful intelligence agency in the world entertain the idea of people being killed by the paranormal if it wasn't a very real danger? I'm going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. Do the dead care about their resting place? Do they really have any interest in the grave that they've been placed? Well, maybe not. And maybe it's just as if their grave, if it's tampered with, it's the disrespect itself that might anger a ghost. And this brings me to the cursed grave of Carl Pruitt. This allegedly true tale of death committed by the paranormal begins in Kentucky back in 1938. A man named Carl Pruitt returned home from a long day at work only to discover that his beloved wife had been cheating on him and was found with her lover in his own bed. He found them there going at it, but in his rage, he let the man like run off and escape, but his wife... His fury was only reserved for her. Pruitt grabbed a chain and murdered her by strangulation, and unable to go on with all of the shame associated with his wife cheating on him, he killed himself shortly after. His murdered wife's family were rightfully upset, 
and had her buried far from where he himself was laid to rest. After a while, his tombstone began to display some anomalous activity. Visitors to the graveyard began to notice discoloration on his tombstone. The discoloration just got more and more vivid, to the point it was blatantly resembling chains. The same chains that Pruitt had used to end his cheating wife's life. And as anyone who has spent any time around young boys knows, they do stupid things in groups. And a graveyard is not a place for young children to hang out for any long periods of time or for any specific reason in general. In any case, though, a group of kids stumbled across the grave of Carl Pruitt and noticed the odd chain-like discoloration on his tombstone. Well, one of the kids was trying to impress the others and took a big rock and chucked it at the grave, which nicked a piece off of the tombstone, vandalizing it. This did not please the ghost of Carl Pruitt at all. Because when the kid was riding his bike home, something very unlikely happened. He had an accident on his bike that caused his bike chain to break, and his crash fell in just the right way against a random debris that it pinned him with his bike chain wrapped around his neck, which caused the young boy to be strangled to death shortly after because he was too weak to remove the chain and was unable to lift himself from the bike and whatever was uh, pinning him to the ground. I don't know, it was probably like a tree or something, but I couldn't find any more details of what was actually keeping him from being able to move after the bike crashed. But I got some ideas since I crashed in a similar way and got stuck when I was a kid, basically almost impaling my chest with my handlebar. But in somehow the child, like somehow he, the kid just got stuck and strangled to death on his bike chain. The boy's family was obviously devastated and when what he was up to prior to his death was revealed, the mother was so upset she let superstition take over and blamed the dead Pruitt, or the tombstone, or who knows. But she decided to take an axe to the graveyard and attack the supposed tombstone with a chain on it that her son had vandalized. This did not turn out well either. She attacked the tombstone over and over with the axe and actually made it home unlike her son after she was done. It wasn't until the next day that the strange stuff started happening. She was doing laundry and putting it up on a clothesline outside like they did in the old days when out of nowhere, a clothesline snapped and wrapped around her neck, which caused her to strangle to death. The ghost's next victim is much more random, but Pruitt's wrath is undeniable. One day, a farmer was riding his cart home being pulled by a horse. Remember, this happened a long time ago when that was still a thing. The farmer was maybe drunk or something, and it was uh, a time that no one really cared about firearms. Everybody had them, and the area was not nearly as condensed in population as modern times. So it's probable that this would be a thing that would happen and people did. Anyway, the farmer was taking pot shots with his gun. As he and his family were going past the cemetery, he spotted the tombstone of Pruitt and thought it would be a good target for practice. But this time when he took a shot, the shot, or more likely uh, Pruitt himself, well, how do I? In any case, when Pruitt took the shot, his horse freaked out and it took off at top speed. 
The farmer's family jumped off the wagon as soon as it began to go out of control from the horrified horse, but the farmer held on. However, he was after a while thrown eventually from the carriage, but the leather got wrapped around his neck, strangling him to death as it dragged him down the road. And it was after this specific incident that the rumor of Pruitt's grave being cursed actually started to spread like wildfire in the community. Many suspicious people avoided the area around the graveyard altogether, and a lot of others refused to even talk about it, thinking it might invoke the angry spirit's wrath. But the legend eventually reached the ears of two cops who thought the whole thing was stupid and that everyone who believed in it and were gossiping about it were stupid too. So they set out to set the story straight, telling everyone it was nonsense and they'd prove it. They walked around the grave speaking very disrespectfully about Pruitt and took pictures of themselves at the grave and uh, all around were just making fun of it and being irreverent. <laughs> However, as they tried to drive away, something very odd happened. A glowing orb illuminated erratically behind them in cascading pulses that made the formerly skeptical policemen become consumed with dread. The driver floored it to get out of there. But he lost control and they careened off the road into a fence. The cop who was in the passenger seat was straight up thrown out of the crashing vehicle but somehow survived. But the other officer was found with a chain between two fence posts going halfway through his neck, killing him almost instantly. And there is only one more death officially documented concerning Pruitt's grave that is attributed to Pruitt himself. The ghost, I mean. And that's by a man in the early 40s who also thought that the rumors were nonsense, just like the policeman. Seeking to disprove the legend, he took a giant sledgehammer to the grave and started hitting the tombstone. He messed it up pretty good and people were listening to him hit it repeatedly from beyond the wall of the graveyard. But then all of a sudden his smashing stopped and he began screaming like a lunatic and ran away. The people who were listening to him attack the tombstone were concerned about him and went to go find him. And when they did find him, he was hanging from the entrance gate with the chain that's used to lock the gate wrapped around his neck and he was strangled to death. There are no other incidents reported since this death or paranormal activity other than poltergeist activity. And no one has tried to really mess with or damage the tombstone since. Which seems like a pretty smart move. Next up is uh, a place that I'm actually pretty familiar with and I've been to like many times. And that's the whole solitary confinement at Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. Somewhere that's like literally just around 45 minutes to an hour from where I'm recording right now. In 1933, 
the U.S. government decided to open up a maximum security prison. And it was a minimum privilege, basically meant to deal with the worst criminals of all time, sometimes called The Rock because of its isolation surrounded by water. This prison held the highest tier evil that the United States had to offer back then. And there's actually a lot of interesting lore that surrounds the prison. The Native Americans who originally inhabited the area claimed that the island was haunted by evil spirits and that it should be avoided at all costs. They actually used the island as a form of punishment. Those who violated tribal law were brought to the island and left there for a short time. Worst transgressors, though, were left there to be murdered by the evil spirits with glowing eyes that were said to reside there, suffering a horrible fate and never returning to the tribe. The natives say that the evil spirits are still there till this day and have always been there and always will be there, having a huge influence on Alcatraz and the evil contained within. In modern times, the formidable prison is obviously shut down and uh, now just a tourist attraction in San Francisco. But back in the day, um, it was basically a prison that was dreaded by all criminals to even think of being sent to. And a lot of people did not return despite prison sentence. And even though being there was just so blatantly awful with uh, all of the hardened criminals and whatnot and the messed up prison guards. But there was one particular place that even the most hardened criminals feared of being sent to, and that's cell 14D, better known as the hole, which was basically solitary confinement, but way worse than what's allowed in modern times. D-Block actually was an entire area of the prison and had many isolated prisoners from the rest of the population. But six of these cells were especially feared and known as strip cells, otherwise known as the whole collectively, though only one of these cells is remembered specifically with that name, and that is cell 14D. People like to say that it was dark all the time, but the inmate actually had a single small light bulb to illuminate the overbearing darkness. However, this single light bulb was often turned off by the guards to torment the prisoners, leaving them alone in the darkness for hours and days on end. Prisoners were all alone there, and they only got bread and water every three days with nothing to keep them entertained whatsoever. And before entering the cell, the inmates were stripped naked, and it was empty. There was no mattress or sink or anything. There was just a cold cement floor to sit upon or sleep on, and the toilet was just a hole in the ground. Sounds pretty horrific to me, and that's not even including the sadistic guards that were watching over you. Over the years, there have been countless ghost encounters and documented uh, reports of weird anomalies happening at Alcatraz, with uh, it most commonly being unexplained bangs and clanks with no source. However, there's also random screams with no one there, as well as moans and faint crying in the distance. But when the listener ever gets close to these anomalous noises, there's just silence yet again with no one there. 
Back in 1984, a brave army ranger wanted to investigate the reports for himself and just stayed the night at the abandoned prison by himself for nights. And his claims of what happened are interesting. He said on the first night, he'd been woken up by swinging cell doors, loudly banging open as if uh, slammed open and then whining on its hinges in uh, recoil. And this happened repeatedly on the nights that he stayed there. But there was nobody else in the prison, and every time he went to investigate, there was nobody there. And then later, other rangers stayed overnight too. And they all claimed to have the same strange experiences in the darkness of the abandoned prison, such as whispering, sounds like instruments, voices of people having a conversation, but then when they get close, there's only silence. Uh, so they... It's just interesting that army rangers who probably shouldn't admit to encountering these types of strange anomalies are admitting to these strange anomalies, and it's pretty creepy. But despite the allegations of hauntings and encounters throughout the prison being common, everyone agrees that D-Block is the most active with paranormal activity. The hole in D-Block is always cold more so than the rest of the prison, and that's even in summertime too. The cell is constantly allegedly 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit year-round despite the weather outside. These cells all pointed towards the Golden Gate Bridge, and cold winds blew in the cells in D-Block all the time, very much making the prisoners uncomfortable. And one guard who was a dick that worked at the prison for some time in D-Block would turn on the air conditioning to make it even colder to mess with the prisoners even further. And that guy got away with it for years. There's many untold tales of guard violence and brutality that took place in D-Block, especially the whole. I mean, they were God and they took their sadistic pleasure in tormenting their prisoners out in any way they liked. Who knows how many more were murdered and tortured without documentation. But even as the prison was in full swing, prisoners could sense the darkness surrounding the hole. Guards and even caretakers afterward have claimed to have encountered something called the thing in the hole, which is allegedly a Native American entity, but it could be anything since its appearance seems to change, but it most often appears in the darkness with glowing eyes. Other reports from those who have lived on the island as caretakers have claimed to see phantoms that only appear for a moment, and then when they blink, they vanish. A former guard who worked in D-Block claimed that back in the 40s, he and the other guards often saw the apparition of a man who was oddly dressed in 1800s attire, looking very out of place. He would walk down the hallway of the strip cells and specifically around the hole. Whenever the guards would try to talk to this apparition, he would just ignore them, but it would send chills down anyone's spine who ever got a glimpse of him. One night in the mid-40s, a prisoner became very unsettled and began screaming for the guards to help him. He was screaming at the top of his lungs that he wasn't alone in his cell and that something was in there with him. He yelled that there were glowing eyes staring at him and he repeatedly pleaded for help from the guards. The man would scream over and over, and he would just his voice just got more hoarse and more hoarse. But the guards just ignored him, not doing anything, not even investigating to see if he was okay whatsoever. 
And this went well into the night with the prisoner just yelling the glowing eyes and the entity in the room with him, which some of the guards were actually aware of and had already seen before themselves. So it's not clear that why they didn't help him, maybe out of fear, but in any case, they just ignored him and left him to his fate. Because all of a sudden there was an abrupt silence, and the guards just thought maybe he'd finally passed out. But the next day, the boss was around and they did their inspection, and when they opened up his cell, the hole, the guards were extremely unnerved by what they saw. The convict was twisted on the ground in a bizarre contortion, with his face frozen in a terribly haunting expression. His eyes were open and bulging with fear, and upon inspection, there were visible marks as if he'd been choked around his neck. The boss, ordering an autopsy, thinking he'd been killed by a guard or he'd killed himself, but there was no evidence pointing towards either which creeped everyone out horribly. But it wasn't over. The next day, the guards were doing a head count, and there was one too many. There standing before them was the man who died from the unexplained strangulation, with horror in his eyes, and the guard was taken aback, but when he looked back, the apparition was gone. So if you ever do visit Alcatraz... Pray you do not see the glowing eyes in cell block D in the hole, because it may be the murderous spirit of an enigmatic man from the 1800s, or an ancient evil Native American spirit, or even to some psychics who have visited the island, a demon that feeds on fear and sorrow. there thanks for listening to cryptic chronicles the show is sponsored by blueberry and if you're interested in starting your own podcast use our link we'll even give your podcast a shout out go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the blueberry link on the homepage. by doing so you'll be helping the show blueberry is optimized for itunes as well as all podcast hubs you won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees in fact you won't have to leave your own website you'll have your own rss feed and no third-party sites Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. For most of all, thanks for listening. Next is famous paranormal investigator Gaurav Tiwari, who was killed in an extremely bizarre fashion that is unexplainable by mundane medical terms. There are many real dangers to paranormal investigators. Not, not the fake ones on TV, but the real ones. 
the vast majority of ghosts can't be interacted with consciously because they're not conscious. And if you really know what you're talking about, the TV show Paranormal Investigators seem much more what they really are, entertainment. Though there may be a couple legit ones here and there. If a show is based on ratings and is a ghost hunting show, you're more than likely watching fake, staged paranormal investigations. However, there are real dangers to paranormal investigation. Many have been driven insane and consumed in mental illness, while others have vanished or even worse. The truth is that the majority of paranormal investigators are not prepared or ready to encounter things beyond their comprehension, and it has not ended well for them on many occasions. Though I'm pretty sure that Gaurav Tiwari knew what he was doing, but he's one of the strangest cases of someone dying from paranormal influences that has objective proof behind it. One-time pilot and actor in his younger years, Gaurav totally changed his life direction when he chose to pursue paranormal investigation. This 180 happened when he was living in Florida, USA, and strange occurrences began happening in the apartment he lived in. And before the incident, Tawari didn't even believe in the supernatural. He thought it was all BS. But when he began seeing the apparition of a young girl in his apartment, as well as experiencing poltergeist activity, well, that tends to change someone's mind real quick. And he became enraptured by the mysteries. From that point on, he was out to seek the truth of the paranormal, becoming the most famous paranormal investigator in India, and pretty famous globally in the paranormal pop culture community. He didn't stick to ghosts either, but threw his intellect into all topics of the paranormal, including the UFO phenomenon, cryptids, and even dabbling in the esoteric. Over the course of his career, he investigated over 6,000 cases, and traveled across the world to the most dark and frightening places, surrounded by the most horrific paranormal lore. He became so incredibly educated with multiple degrees and certifications that, <laughs> oh, let's just say he knew his stuff. He even became a hypnotist and founded a paranormal investigation company, making himself the CEO. He was interviewed by other investigators the world over across many platforms, including radio, TV, and he was even in a couple movies. Bollywood movies, though not Hollywood movies. Bollywood is India's... It's India's Hollywood. But, um, let's just say he was very successful, well-known, experienced, intelligent, and educated. And at the time of his death, he had everything to live for and was very busy with his work, focusing on many different projects. Tawari had no problems, a good family, friends, goals, drive, passion, with no financial issues or basically anything that would cause him to hurt himself. I only say all this because law enforcement was quick to rule his death as a suicide but that was quickly proven false upon a professional autopsy. But some people try to say he killed himself to this day despite the evidence, which is very rude when they uh, say that to his family or those who knew him. 
He was actually super pumped at the time about starting work on a Sufi show called Haunting, among much more he was uh, actively working on. But people will be people, and thinking is difficult, that's why people judge. Though it was slowly revealed that during the time leading up to his death, he had actually been acting a little bit off. His father was quoted to say, Guarav told his wife a month ago that a negative force was pulling him towards it. He had said he was trying to control it, but seemed unable to do so. My daughter-in-law ignored it, thinking he was just depressed due to work overload and did not tell us about it. End quote. Associate Deepta Roy Chakravarti elaborated on this, saying, and I quote, Not only places, but even people, can carry demonic forces which can manifest themselves. When I read about his visiting a possessed girl in Jenicapuri in Delphi the day before his death, a strange thought struck me. Did Gaurav become the unwitting victim of his last case? Was the burden too heavy? There have been cases where a spirit entity, especially a demonic one, can transfer onto an object or even a person. Did the entity believed to be possessing the young girl in Delphi seek and find a vessel in this young man? Paranormal work goes beyond simply gadgets and batteries. It cannot be treated as either a parlor game or a nine to five profession. I feel work of this nature needs a spiritual core of purpose and strength. Guarov had perhaps taken on too much too soon before he was ready to handle the onslaught of the dark. I hope his spirit now finds the light which he brought to many. End quote. Now, we've covered things like holes in the aura being where entities can enter and influence one's sphere of sensation before on the show. Some of his associates say that he had taken on too much too soon and must not have fully been protected or ready to face true entities of darkness. A fellow paranormal investigator of Tawari said, and I quote, As we understand, no ghost or spirit can kill a man, or at least there is no documented evidence to suggest that. They can only temporarily cause some disturbance, especially to a person with a weak aura. A person with bad habits, as someone on drugs, can develop a weak aura. End quote. Though the whole aura stuff is kind of like a niche when it comes to paranormal lore and knowledge, I think it's interesting that it gets brought up here. Anyway, this is how his death went down. One night, Tuari was just relaxing at his home in India like any other night, with everyone saying it was all normal and uneventful. He was acting pretty normal and nothing seemed out of the ordinary and everyone who saw him that evening and was spending the evening with him can back this up. Tarari got up to the bathroom casually, just like anyone normally would. But it wasn't too long before his family heard very loud noises coming from the bathroom. Loud. Like, really loud. They rushed over to see what happened and if he was okay, but when they tried to open the door, they discovered it was locked. And concluded the only one who could have been inside the bathroom was Tarari. 
With the door locked, they had to bust inside, and there, when they finally did get through the door, they saw him face down on the bathroom floor. He was alive, but out of it. You know, non-responsive. Comatose, but alive. Obviously freaked out, they rushed him to the hospital as soon as possible, but somehow he asphyxiated on the way there. And upon arriving, he was pronounced dead after many attempts at resuscitation. This is all very well documented across the board. And the most bizarre thing was that the medical professionals could not discover just what had strangulated him. Because there was no sign of anything, there was no physical marks, and well, at least not at first, but there was no reason to. They were with him the whole time. Nobody saw him, anyone choke him. It was unexplainable. Later, a bizarre, very thin line formed around the corpse's neck that had not been there before. The mark was anomalous and the doctors could not explain it and swore that they had not noticed it earlier. So it couldn't have been there at the initial arrival and when they uh, pronounced him dead. Despite the unexplainable nature of his death, like I already said, they could only really rule it as a suicide because they had nothing to go on. But this was soon afterward proven to be very wrong, with law enforcement even pointing towards murder. They looked towards his family as the first suspects, but it didn't take long for the family to be proven utterly innocent of foul play in every way. And they never came up with any other evidence or suspects. The mystery remains unsolved, with the 32-year-old Gaurav Tarari's anomalous death back in 2016, one of the most prominent deaths by the paranormal. It was a tragic early end to a booming career cut short, and a horrific unexplained death caused by unexplainable reasons. Do you think that he could have come back with some anomalous dark entity or even a demon attached to him, as his colleagues thought? Or maybe it attached to him somehow as vengeance for his meddling to save the little girl from possession. In any case, it was a tragic death and a promising life cut horrifically short. Listener, that's all for today on the topic of deaths attributed to the paranormal. Make sure you stay away from dangerously haunted places and don't mess with dark forces. You never know what you might bring home with you or be running into. And yeah, it's just better not to mess with it. And in saying that, you know the drill. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or you name it. Any podcast hub, we're there. If you got the time, please leave the show a good review. It would really help us out and uh, get us more in the spotlight. Recently, we were trending in Canada and Britain in the top 200 podcasts, which is awesome. And all thanks to you, listener. The Cryptic Chronicles isn't even on the radar in the US, which is kind of odd. Please leave us a good review and that can be rectified. 
And also, I'd love you forever and a half. So, yeah. Make sure you subscribe to us on social media to stay up to date with all our cryptic content. The Facebook group would love to have you stop by and check out all our weird stuff, because trust me, we got a lot of weird stuff to show you. I'd also like to give a shout out to my patrons because they're amazing and awesome, and I love them. Mark Lane, you're the man. Angie Allen, thanks for running the Facebook group so well. Kenny, you know you're my homie, Kenny. Thank you, Leanna Watts, Stephanie Wilkie, Linda Gonzalez, and of course, Paul the Mighty One. If you'd like to become a patron and join the ranks of the most awesome people who ever lived, then just go to crypticchronicles.com and click on the Chronicler's Vault at the top of the homepage, or on the Facebook link, or any of the other plethora of links there are out there I got. By doing so, you will not only get an ad-free version of the show that is completely uncensored in every way, but there's also, it's just like there's more stuff to it. I leave in a lot more and add stuff that the uh, the regular podcast doesn't hear. You also get all of the YouTube videos early and exclusive episodes not available to anyone else. More goodies and awesome stuff are coming. I got a lot of ideas to add to the patrons, but uh, gotta work on stuff a little bit more. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet on a professional level, but I think I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I was trending in the top 200 podcasts in Britain and Canada. That's awesome. And um, I just thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Anyway, I can't wait to talk to you again soon and make sure you stay safe. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. And as the greatest cosmic horror writer of all time once said, the process of delving into the black abyss is to me the keenest form of fascination.